We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Brederson in studio with... Robin jones Gunn, And we are so excited to be with you. And we have another woman to share with you. But this is... Of course we do. (laughs) This is an interesting one, though, Robin. This is not like our usual fare. I know. Cheryl, you just were so fascinated with this woman. Yes. And I'm going to learn a lot as you tell us about her. (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting is when I grew up, she was a sermon illustration of what not to be. Right. She was like, oh, she's greedy. And um, she was so awful that, uh, you know, her greed caused her son to be lame. And I'm thinking, oh, what a terrible woman. I never want to be like her. So when I saw this book on uh, BookBub, that's like this thing that comes to me and says, are you interested in any of these books? And I always am. Yes, it's true. I wanted a book to take on a trip that I was going on, like an airplane book. And I thought, oh, that would be a good airplane book. You know, when you want something that you don't really have to think about. And I don't I I didn't think about her at all for um, this program. I was thinking of her. This is just something I'm going to read because I wanted something a little scandalous. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. well, it sounds like that's what you got. Of course, you are talking about Hetty Green. I had never heard of her. No, she was all she was called the Witch of Wall Street. What a And she was a contemporary of um, like Harriet Beecher Stowe, of Elizabeth Blackwell. Wow. I mean, she lived during a very prominent yes. uh, time. Uh, she lived during the Civil War. And so she's like some of those women that, you know, like Amanda Berry that we featured on the program before. She's a contemporary of these women. But she was in a whole different you know, league, so to speak. And I read this book and I realized she's been so maligned and none of those things are true. And I found myself understanding her and why she did what she did and how that developed rumors about her that weren't um, true. So the book I actually read is called Hetty Green, The Richest Woman in America. Um, Hetty Green in the Gilded Age is a website I went to, and there's uh, lots of books on Hetty Green. It's really interesting. Mm. But I have to say that this story is not the story that I expected. Um, I just didn't know um, what I was getting myself into, and I found myself really respecting her. Because one of the things that we've highlighted, especially with um, like Elizabeth Blackwell and some of these others, is that they moved into a realm that was dominated by men and women weren't allowed in. And they actually opened doors for women um, to become doctors. And Hetty Green did that very same thing for women to become business women. So before this, Ah, women were just not in business. Business was considered uh, a man's world. So without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about Hetty. She was born in New Bedford, Massachusetts on July 3rd, 1834. Her parents were Edward Robinson and her grandfather was Gideon Howland Jr., So they together owned a whaling company, and Mm. they were already, by standards of that day, one of the wealthiest uh, families and one of the wealthiest uh, conglomerations 
uh, with the well oil. They owned a fleet of ships. And Hattie would often go with her father when she was young to inspect the ships and the uh, you know, supplies on the ships. And her father would interact with the captains of the boats. But her mother was actually the daughter of Gideon Howland. And so because they were Quakers, they kept their business and their marriages and their social relationships. It was very clannish. They all stayed yeah. within the Quaker, the Society of Friends. And you didn't do business outside the Society of Friends. I mean, if your partners in business would be all from the Society of Friends and marriages. So her mother, Abigail, married this much older man who was... Edward Robinson. Now, Hetty's roots on both sides, her mother's side and her father's side, date all the way back to the Mayflower. Really? So they were considered very much an elite, uh, socially upward uh, family, even though they were Quakers. And Quakers had this philosophy that wealth equated with the blessing of God. So the idea was to try to accumulate as much wealth, not for themselves, but for the next generation. Huh. Would you have ever expected that? No. No. But when you read Hetty's story, all of a sudden it makes sense. And seriously, what we're going to find is that everything revolves around her being a Quaker. Everything. Everything she did, the way she lived, all revolved around her being a Quaker. So her grandfather, Gideon, was a jolly man, but prone to drink. And he had two daughters, Abigail and Sylvia. Sylvia had some kind of back ailment, probably scoliosis, but it almost crippled her. So she was pretty much an invalid. Uh, Although she got out a little bit, she was almost in constant pain. So she was more housebound and not considered marriageable material. You're right. But Abigail was. And so marrying Abigail to Edward solidified the Robinson Howland corner on the whaling industry. So when Edward married Abigail in a simple Quaker ceremony, he immediately wanted children and he wanted a son. He wanted a son more than anything. Again, as a Quaker, Who am I making this wealth for if I can't Mm. pass it down and train his son who knows how to do business? At this time, too, Edward was really, really brilliant. And he was taking the money he was making in whaling, and he was already investing it uh, in stocks and investment. And he would read the papers, and he would find out what stocks were up and what investments to make. Um, So, he, you know, he marries Abigail. And she has her first child, and it's Hetty. It's a little girl. And he's so upset. This is not what he wanted at all. So Abigail becomes pregnant again within a year, and she has a little boy. But the little boy only lives like a month or two months, and he dies. And he and Abigail both resent Hetty for living. Abigail becomes very sick. I know, very sick and invalided and can't take care of Hetty anymore. And she's depressed, and she's also afraid of her husband. She's, you know, he's older, he's very strong, and so she's afraid of him, and so she just takes to her room and to her bed, and 
She lives like that with very little interaction with Hetty. So Hetty's grandfather, Gideon, feels for Hetty and takes Hetty into his house. And he's living with his mother-in-law. So can you imagine? I mean, there's like four (laughs) generations in this house. And his mother-in-law, Ruth, who had been his wife's mother and Sylvia's Sylvia's grandmother, so this would have been Hetty's great-grandmother, loves Hetty. And just begins to nurture Hetty, pour into Hetty. And she's a very strict Quaker, but she just adores Hetty. And this is the only love that Hetty is getting. But Ruth doesn't last long. And so um, she dies. And now Hetty is with Aunt Sylvia. And Aunt Sylvia is determined to live her life through Hetty. And that will have problems uh, as Sylvia wants to live, you know, her whole existence, everything that she couldn't do, she wants Hetty to do. uh, And so she's going to have vicarious enjoyment through her. In the meantime, she could get close to Gideon when she couldn't be close to her father. And Gideon realized Hetty learned to read at four and she was brilliant, just so smart, but very precocious, uh, temperamental. But the grandfather uh, would start having Hetty read to him, and she would read about the investments, and she would read, you know, the portfolio. She would read the <laughs> newspaper to him, and I'm talking five and six years old. Oh, that's amazing! And the grandfather uh, began to teach her about investments and talk to her. Well, about this time, her mother and father decided that the right thing would have their daughter live with them, and you know, Abigail would again, sporadically feel well enough to take Hetty back. So Hetty realized that her father loved money more than anything else in the world, more than, you know, he really married Abigail just to, uh, for her fortune and for the corner on the whaling industry. And she recognized this in her father and she wanted her father's love desperately. So she realized that her interest in investments at a young age was the way that she could get her father's approval and her father's love. So she started talking to him about these things, and he began to take her, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to meet the different merchants he was interacting with uh, on the ships. And he began to teach her all about industry and all about business, not necessarily directly, but almost indirectly. She was picking up things and listening to the interactions. And she would uh, listen to his meetings with the other investors. She'd sit in on them. And he became the president of the Bedford Bank in Massachusetts. And so she would, she would sit in on those meetings, listening to these trustees and these um, business owners, you know, interacting with her father. And she began to pick it up. When she was eight, uh, she received some money. I think it was from Gideon. And he, he gave her some money and she took it immediately to the bank and got a bank account that would draw interest on it. And she even bought a few stocks through her father just already that acumen oh, for business was starting. You think that her father was thinking, this will at least help. You'll be a good wife someday and you can, you know, be understanding of what your husband is doing in industry. Yeah, I don't 
It's interesting. No, that you would allow her yes. to come along and to yeah. be. Yeah, I think encouraging this. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, actually, I think it was that he saw that she had a propensity for it and he could use it. Honestly, and he was shrewd, and I don't think he was a good man at all. I yeah. just, I think he his whole life, even though he was a Quaker, a devout Quaker, mm-hmm. everything was about making money, and she was his only heir. In fact, she was the only Howland heir. And she was the only Robinson heir on both sides of these families, this very wealthy family that goes all the way back to the Mayflower. She's the only heir. She's mm-hmm. the, you know, the only one, uh, the only child. Uh, the grandfather, Gideon, though, he used to say, when I die, you're going to get my fortune. You're going to get all the fortune. And when he died, the fortune went to Abigail and it went to Sylvia. And immediately Robinson, her dad, Edward Robinson, um, took the whole fortune and put it in his bank account. And Hetty would say, oh. that money was supposed to go to me. You know, Grandpa promised. And he said, you know, you'll get yours, you know, when I'm older or when I die. But, you know, I need to invest it for you. I, I'll take care of this for you. And Hetty felt like she wanted to be empowered to make her own investments. And she was really upset with her father. And her mother died when Hetty was like 25, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk (laughs) about her teenage years. I want to talk about her schooling because I think it helps you to understand um, her a little bit more. So she went to a Quaker school, and I think this is important because going to this Quaker school, they were all required to dress plainly. Right. And they were they ate simple food and food that was nutritious, but not delicious. (laughs) And that was the whole emphasis. You know, it's it's all about being good for you. It was smaller amounts. Uh, There was water to drink. There were no extras. And that was very prized at this school that she went to. And they were expected to read the Bible three chapters every single day and Sunday, five chapters. So it was very austere um, and yet very, you know, spiritually centered. And she grew up in that and she really resonated with that, probably because her father was like that. Uh, Her grandfather, Gideon, was a little more extravagant, as was Sylvia. And the father did not, Edward did not like that at all. So Hetty comes out of school, high school, with, and she's dressing really shabby. And her Aunt Sylvia is just appalled, like, no. So she talks to Abigail. And so Hetty is sent to finishing school. She's sent to um, a New York uh, to become a debutante. And a switch from yes, the Quaker days. You're right. So Sylvia takes her to New York. Wow. And Sylvia introduces her to society. Sylvia makes sure she has the finest clothing and pays for much of it herself because Edward will not, you know, invest in Hetty's clothing. So Sylvia becomes like a surrogate mother to Hetty, just making sure she gets in the right society. Now, Hetty was actually related to the Grinnells, and the Grinnells were highly placed in society. I mean, they were very close to the Astors and Mm -hmm. the people that were, you know, important people and socialites in that day. So the next thing you know, Hetty is at all these balls. And Hetty even met... um, 
Prince uh, Albert of the Prince of Wales. He came over from England, and there was this great big to-do for him in New York. And she went right up to him, and he said, Hello, I am the Prince of Wales. And she said, Hello, I am the Princess of W-H-A-L-E-S, Wales. Oh, because her parents yes. had the whaling industry. Very clever. And he found her just delightful, but mm. he would because he was known to be a flirt. Hattie was absolutely, by all the standards of the day, considered a beauty. She had a incredible figure. She had beautiful piercing blue eyes. Uh, she was just considered a beauty. So right away, she was accepted in society. One, the Mayflower Connection. Two, the money her father mm-hmm. and, and grandfather had been, and now her father, one of the wealthiest men in the United States, a great investor. All the banks were interested in him. And then also because of her beauty and because she'd been to finishing school. So she knew how to, I want to say, perform in that world. She knew that world uh, really well. Well, when Hattie was 24 years old, her mother uh, passed away. And she, you know, no one's quite sure what she died of. It could have been just her depression, but she had been in a room for most of her life. She was 51 years old. And again, the fortune was absorbed by her father and did not go to her. Her Aunt Sylvia said, you go to your father. That money was meant to go to you. But at the same time, Sylvia said, well, if you didn't get your mother's money, you'll get all of my money. So they sat down and they hammered out a will together that she would get all of Sylvia's money when Sylvia died. And they even added an addendum to it that um, and the property and the house. And the addendum was this, that no other will made after this would matter. That this well, that's unusual. This was the last yes. and final will. And if another one was made... It wasn't to be regarded. So Hetty, you know, is is feeling pretty good about this. So she is um, 26 years old. She goes to New York. She begins to invest the little bit of amount she got. She got her father gave her, I think it was $20,000, which actually in today's market would be about $2 million. So don't feel too sorry for her (laughs) um, after her mother's. But that was only a tidbit of her mother's estate. Hetty invested it right away. And she invested, she felt railroad was railroads were the thing of the future. She began to invest in railroads. So she doubled her fortune within um, months, really. And she was beginning all these investments. And she just had this acumen for business and investments that was unrivaled, better than most of the men around her. In fact, she felt like most of the men did not know what they were doing, these trustees, and she didn't trust them. And she would tell her father all the time, I wouldn't trust these men. They don't know what they're doing. And she would say that to Sylvia because Sylvia had invested with a lot of trustees too. And she said, I don't trust them. Now, what's interesting about her distrust is in the book, you find out after Abraham Lincoln died, it was like all the corruption Mm-hmm. Um, appeared. And I mean, the United States got so corrupt yes. with the carpetbaggers and um, just these people seeing this opportunity to take advantage of one another. 
And so she saw that coming. She saw that before even there was a civil war. Um, she saw that coming. <clears throat> so she invests her money and she begins to make money. Um, after this, the civil war hits and she throws herself fully into the effort of the North. She loves Abraham Lincoln and she begins to collect cotton to raise money, uh, to collect food. Uh, she wants to help the soldiers that are fighting against the South. Um, and another thing happened, she was really upset because there were these Irish men that went on strike in New York because they did not want to fight for the emancipation of uh, the black people. And they didn't because they felt like the black people were better workers. They weren't drunks and that they would lose all their jobs. So what they did is they burned down an orphanage in New York and really? that was over 200 children were oh. uh, killed. And Hetty was so upset about that. And that really pushed her over the edge into uh, being for emancipation and being a woman who was not welcomed in the business world. She had this immediate affinity uh, for uh, the black American. Like, no, I, I understand their plight. I understand what they're up against. So she she just threw herself into the war effort. It was about this time that she was back in Massachusetts and she went into the Parker Hotel. Now, the Parker Hotel was known for its cream puffs, its delicious mm -hmm. cream puffs. And she would treat herself every once in a while to a cream puff. So she went in and she saw um, somebody she knew, one of the businessman she'd worked with, and he was sitting with a man named Edward Green. This is where everything gets confusing because there are three Edwards in the story. Edward, her father, mm. Edward Green, and then yep. later she will have a son and name him Edward. Of course. You could have guessed. So she sees Edward Green, and for Edward Green, it is love at first sight. He's 10 years older or so than Hattie, and he just sees her. And again, I told you, she was a beauty. And this is the time that she's actually dressing nicely because Aunt Sylvia is pressuring her yes. and saying, look, if you're going to make it in society, if you're ever going to get married, you better dress nicely. So she's looking probably at her best. And Edward just falls madly, deeply in love with her. And he asks if he can court her. And she said, well, we'll see. She had other men try to court her, but she always felt they were after her money. So she didn't trust them. Edward was a millionaire in his own right. He had been to the Far East. He traveled the whole globe. And he had started in a place called Bellow Falls in Vermont. It just being like a farm boy, it's, his grandfather owned the, the market, the produce stand in Aww. Bellow Falls. And he had made, he was a self-made millionaire. Yes, yes. And so her father proved because Edward already had two million to his name, two million in that day was like in that day. a huge yeah. amount because by this time, Hetty was an heiress, one, and two, Hetty's stocks, she had over two million of her own having traded in the stock. She was already a millionaire. And that's probably part of her distrust of, you know, other suitors. She's like, nope, can't be trusted, can't be trusted. Understandable. Yes. <laughs> and there were counts and princes and, you know, all sorts of men who, you know, again, she's a beauty. She's got the social connections and she's really, really wealthy, but she's brilliant. And that could be intimidating too. 
So Edward, um, she was in New York at the time with her father, and Edward left his calling card um, at her father's house. And so they began to court. And of course, they just bonded over investments and all of, um, you know, the the bear, the market, all yes. of these things. You can imagine because they, conversations. Right. They understood each other. So about this time, her father took ill. And Hetty was so concerned about her father. And this is the man who never loved her. So Hetty moved into his house in New York full time and began to take care of him and take care of all of his business. She was the only person he could trust. And so she took care of all his investments, all of his business. Uh, she nursed him. She'd grown up nursing her mother and taking care of her mother. And she had learned how to nurse from the doctor that took care of her mother. So she began to nurse her father as much as she possibly could and help him and alleviate his pain. And he kept telling her, Hetty, I've been poisoned. Hetty, I've been poisoned. Watch my food. Someone's poisoning me. So he died and she goes to the reading of the will and he left her $2 million. And he also, oh, I'm sorry, before this, with Edward Green, Edward Robinson, Hetty's father, made him sign a prenuptial that if he married Hetty, he wouldn't trust her money, uh, wouldn't ever touch her money ever. But was that really unusual at that yes. time? Nobody had prenuptials because sure. you never you didn't have a woman worth that much. Right. <laughs> so he made it a thing that she could not he sure. could not touch the Roland Howland, I'm sorry, the Robinson Howland fortune. He had to stay away from it. He had to live on his own money and Hetty could do whatever she wanted with her money. So that was a stipulation. Oh, interesting. So Hetty and uh, Edward Green are engaged at this time when she's taking care of her father. In fact, they put off their wedding because she's taking care of her father. And her father um, dies. And they go to the reading of the will and find out that the father left her $2 million of immediate accessible money. And the rest he left as investments with his trustees. And she's beside herself because she thinks those trustees, one, poisoned her father and that the trustees aren't trustworthy. Oh, wow. So she is just beside herself. No wonder you became so intrigued. This is a mystery novel. It is. True crime. (laughs) It gets even worse. So in the meantime, she's trying to see her Aunt Sylvia. Uh, And so this doctor started taking care of her Aunt Sylvia, and he keeps her loaded on laudanum. And laudanum... um, is cocaine. It's a cocaine tincture. So he keeps her loaded and she's kind of out of it. And then the staff, the household staff has all been replaced and they won't let Hetty in either. And Hetty's thinking something is going on. Within two weeks of her father's death, her aunt dies. Mm. And before that, they were both healthy, you know, Mm. semi-healthy. And she believes then that they were both poisoned. So again, she goes to the reading of the will. She's really upset. And she finds out that all her all her aunt's money is going to the doctor who took care of her. No. And then the rest is going to the household staff, different members of the staff. And this was a huge fortune. This is half of the Howland fortune, all going to the staff. And Edward Green is right with her. So Hetty does the logical thing. She decides to sue 
everybody. And she says, I have more money than them, and I don't care how much money it takes. I'm not letting them get by with this dishonesty. So she sues the doctor who does everything he can to avoid um, her. But the cases that she's suing them in, they're one of the first cases to use forensic science. Really? Um, And they use forensic science because Hetty believes that the will was forged, the will of the aunt, uh, because there was another will. Yes, yes. And what so happened she to brings that out, other... Right. Oh, she has it. She has it. Eddie has a copy of right. the one that right. her aunt said. Yes, is, okay. yes. Continue. But I can't. We're out of time. This no. has to be continued. <laughs> See why Hetty Green is so... And we're not even at the most fascinating part yet. Well, and especially because these are things that we see common yes. in our time, but how rare and unusual... And, and for her to be such a, at the hub of when these things the started, women right. in business, right. women investing. And because in. she was going against some pretty powerful people who were dishonest, they were, they did not, they incorporated every dishonest means that they could to bring her down and to keep that money. And that's what we'll talk about the second half. Okay. So again, Hetty Green is not the godliest woman you've ever met, but she was a Quaker. She did believe in God. But we're featuring her more because of the inroads she made than for the godliness. And we're also featuring her because she was so maligned in the press. And we just want to set the story straight. So join us next week for Hetty Green Part 2, Setting the Story Straight. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Gunn. For more information about Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about Robin, visit RobinGunn.com. That's gun with two N's. Or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn.